Welcome everyone to The Driven View with Al Hamid, where we align with driven individuals to learn as to how they get it all done with family and business. I am, of course, your host, Al Hamid, and I'm blessed to have aligned and work with those high-performing executives, coaching them how to dive in and get it all done while excelling as a leader in their business, their family, and their faith. A solo episode today, had a fantastic weekend this weekend, and I'm actually in my truck waiting for a meeting forthcoming. So I said to myself, self, what a perfect time to introduce what I'm going to call truck talk. I'm not really going to introduce anything called truck talk. I was just thought that might actually sound kind of cool or witty as a solo episode. And maybe I will, who knows, but I digress. Got a lot of stuff on my mind and on my heart about an event, a 36 hour endurance event that my brothers and I just thrust ourselves into over the weekend. So I invested some time over the past couple of days to be able to really sit down and unpack where my thoughts were with that. So I'll go ahead and dive in. This may be a short one. It may not. I don't know, but it's going to be a real one as they always are. So one of the things or a couple of things that we're going to talk about are really want to that are on my mind and on my heart specific to this event that derived from this event were self-leadership and self-talk, specifically when we're in times of duress or we're in times of basically stuff just isn't going our way. And to that point, talk about championship language and what that actually means and what that actually can do for you. And then where do we derive that from specifically myself with Tribe yeah, and then some specific folks that are always in my ear in between the middle of a workout or a physical event. So I'm happy to share that with you as well. And then lastly, one of the things that is really on my mind to chat about are expectations and how when we as individuals set ourselves up for expectations that something can go awry and it may not even be wrong, so to speak, or incorrect, but it just doesn't align with our initial expectations. And because of that, we don't like it or it causes us angst or anxiety. And then we come into play. The last piece of that is, is what do we do when that comes into play? Is this something that we're just gonna chalk it up and make an excuse? How are we gonna make those adjustments, not excuses? So we'll talk about championship language and how as champions you work to make adjustments, not excuses. So explaining the event, 36 hour endurance event, the event is called Eversting 29029. If you are not familiar, fantastic gentleman by the name of Jesse Itzler. If you don't know Jesse, just Google him and you'll find a litany of accomplishments. And that's more than his financial prowess or success. Just a fantastic dude. Essentially, it is meant to set you up to the equivalent of scaling Mount Everest, with the exception of you know the 90-day hike and the two-year preparation or whatever that may be. I certainly don't want to marginalize that you know, and then not snow or things of that nature. But this particular event was up the Black Diamond course on Snow Basin's mountain in Salt Lake City, Utah, or Snow Basin, Utah. So you know, that gives you a little bit for you skiers that are listening, you understand the slope and the angle that we were walking up. But the logic is you have 36 hours nonstop to summit 13 times. And each summit or each race, so to speak, and it is certainly not a race. Each start is 2.3 miles. So from base camp to summit is 2.3 miles times 13 is just over 29.9 miles. And that gives you almost 30 miles. And that's why they call it 29 or 29, which is the equivalent to scaling 29,000 vertical feet to scaling Mount Everest. 
You have 36 hours to do that starting at, I believe, 5.30 or 6 a.m. Friday morning. And with that, I don't want to say there are no rules because there certainly are rules and regulations, but you manage your time. You lead yourself throughout those paces. It could be something to where, hey, you worked for 36 hours straight. And I'm happy to share that story because there are a couple of us in our tribe that did. Or if you're strategic enough, if you are athletically blessed enough, if you are driven enough, you could put yourself in a position where you could potentially get up the hill and do 10 in day one, go back to the tent, take a four, five, six hour nap, wake up, put yourself in a position to do it again. So there are contests within the contest. At the base of the mountain is the lodge with all the food, all the hot water, the milk chocolate, hot chocolate, warm anything that you want. And there's a recovery room within the lodge, which has professional masseuse. You'll have Normatec boots. You'll have any kind of anti-chafing solve, anything that you want to put yourself and put your body in a position of comfort. And the challenge is, is that hike is a different hike for every single person that ascends up the mountain. And when you come down, you have about a two-minute decision. And when I say that, the gondola ride down from the peak is 13 minutes. So you really have about 13 minutes to negotiate, if that's what you're willing to do, your goals, or continue to maintain your commitment. But once you get off the gondola, your legs are wobbly, you really have about two minutes to walk over, you brand the board. So there's a board, it's a fantastic event, it's super cool. It gives you the ability to be able to see your tangible accomplishments. So every time you come down, there's literally a brand that you brand into a wooden board relative to your name. So you can see how many you've done, one, two, three, all the way up to 13. Within those 13 are different mountains. So they take the seven tallest mountains on all the continents across the globe. And basically with a 13th ascent being equal to that of ascending Everest. But there's also Mount Kilimanjaro, Mount Denali, which I think are like seven, eight or nine or 10. The first mountain that you can successfully say that you've accomplished or scaled is Mount Kosciuszko or Kosciuszko. I'm not necessarily sure as to how to pronounce that, but that starts at four. So once you get to summit four, you put yourself in a position where you can essentially start marking off these mountains, then all the way up to 13. So that's a little bit about the event. I can also tell you that each ascent is a climb of 2,300 vertical feet. So over 2.3 miles, you're climbing 2,300 vertical feet up. You're also starting at about 6,400 feet in the air. So altitude is very much something that's real and comes into play. And I'm happy to share with you my experience with that as a neophyte when it comes to that. So a little bit about the event. Let me get into my history and my perspective on the event and exactly what happened. So we arrived, seven of us, all of the leadership team within King's Council and a couple of other folks that came with us in accompaniment as well. We'd been planning this event, oh man, for probably a year, maybe even two. Definitely pre-COVID, we, we've had some dialogue about thrusting ourselves into doing something that's hard to be able to put ourselves in a position to see how we react based on the tools, based on the personal development I don't want to say tips, but the who we are as a person, you know, are we going to show up in a situation that's going to be challenging, it's going to be hard, is that quite candidly is going to punch us in the face and how are we going to show up? How can we put ourselves in a position to sharpen ourselves as leaders if we don't know exactly how we're going to, we're going to show up in times of, I will say, self-induced daily doses of disciplined discomfort? So I say that to say that's the logic, a little bit about the why behind the event. 
and it's just a really badass event. I mean, it's just super cool. Starting line, Friday, keep in mind, I make zero commitment, I should say, about going into this prepared. This is something that I'll just say erroneously put myself in a position where I thought I didn't need to be as prepared as I was. The night before, Thursday night, we get to Tent Village. So there's a village where a part of the experience is as well is you have two or three of you in a tent. It's literally a tent. It's like fancy tents, glamping. I mean, you're not on the ground. There's you know, beds and a couple fans in there and some stuff like that. But you know, you're sleeping out in the middle of the mountains under the stars in Utah. I mean, it's a phenomenal experience. It's also really cold. So for me, I took the night before my preparation lightly, candidly speaking, to where I wasn't really hydrating properly as pretty much in hindsight, I look back and I noticed that everybody else kind of was. You know, I was there for the experience. I was being able to hang out with Steve-O and, and Kyle Jones and guys that were in my tent and be able to take pictures and FaceTime a couple of guys in the tribe and just really be present. So little did I know what was lurking around the corner. We wake up, we're up early, probably 3, 30, 4 o'clock in the morning, prepping, priming, getting ready. Keep in mind, it's cold as cold can be, right? So it's, I don't know, 30s, 40s. I really have no idea how cold it was. I'm just fabricating that in my head to be candid with you, but... In my mind, it was cold enough for me to layer up. Rookie mistake, I would say number one, but that's easily number two based on my caloric or hydration intake or lack thereof the night before. In my mind, I had also some concerns about, I didn't have any concerns about my muscles, about my legs or joints, so to speak, but I had concerns about tendons and ligaments. So having negative practice walking up a mountain and I put myself deliberately in a position where I didn't do that. Keep in mind, there is a designated coach by the name of Brent Pease that is a phenomenal dude, gentleman, tactical coach. I mean, I lost track of how many Ironmans this dude has run. He's got an awesome cause with his brother. We'll talk about Brent here in a second, but I say that to say that he provides you with essentially any and all the information you need, caloric intake, gear, and your training basically five to six months up up to the event itself. So the opportunity to learn and put yourself in a position to show up as your best self is very much there and is provided by the, the event organizers. We get to the event. I'm not really taking it as serious as I can. And just before we are getting ready to head to the starting line, I realize I don't have my wallet. Not that I need my wallet, but I was packing, taking an inventory of everything in my mind of everything in my room, because I know for the next 36 hours, we're going to be on a grind. And the last thing I want to do when I get off this mountain is come try to pack all my stuff up, figure out where are my keys, where, where's my wallet. And then, nah, let me just have this all situated now. And then I don't have to worry about it. We're literally walking out of the tent and where I thought my wallet was, it wasn't. So now I'm getting angst. I'm getting anxiety, I'm feeling bad that I'm holding up my guys, all of that stuff. Couldn't find it. So we go back to the lodge just as we're in conversation. I happened to talk with, with one of my guys and he had just been to another area in the lodge. And I don't know, somehow found out that somebody had found a wallet and put it in lost and found. But it was a brown wallet um, and mine was a black wallet. So I didn't think anything of it. I didn't immediately go to lost and found. I just kind of sat there and was like, all right, I got to make a decision. I either got to go to the starting line and get this event over or I'm going to have to go find this wallet. And I was like, listen, the wallet's lost. If it's lost, it's lost. You're not going to find it now and you're not going to find it in an hour from now. You got to go tell the line. Roger that. 
So just as I was going to tell the line, I realized that this lost and found lodge is on the way to the starting line. So I run over to there. By the grace of God, somebody is in there. Found my wallet from the night before when I was in the recovery room prepping legs uh, on the Normatec boots. And this kind soul found my wallet, turned it in with credit cards and cash and all of that stuff. So it relieved a little bit of my anxiety, but at this point in time, I'm full on discombobulated. I'm all over the place in my head. Central nervous system is just firing. I'm like, dude, where are we at? Where, where do we go? It's like, how do we start? So the experience in my mind, the expectation started totally different. And I say that for a reason, because I want to talk about some expectations on this today. So we go up, the event's about to start. A gentleman by the name of Colin O'Brady is giving a warm up speech. And Colin, just so you know, <laughs> Uh, another stud coach, stud athlete. I believe the dude just set the world record for trekking like over a thousand miles across Antarctica or something absolutely awesomely insane about that. So he's up there yelling, screaming, and talking about your why, getting you motivated. And you really have this probably, I don't know, 30, 50 foot wide gauntlet up the ski hill or the mountain. And it's dark and it's wet and it's cold and you can't see anything outside of the headlight that's maybe giving you six, eight feet in front of you. All of a sudden, I'm looking around. I'm trying to find my boys. I see Steve's big, I want to say big ass. We'll just say that. It's my podcast. I can say it. So, okay, I can get over there. And all of a sudden, bam, gun goes off. And now we're we're hiking. So the first lap, I want to say I really didn't have any expectations. I was going into it really hyped. One thing I noticed immediately, twofold. Number one, I could not get my stride. Because everyone is striding all at the same time. So imagine walking up a hill, and unless you're in the front, you're not gonna be able to get your stride if the person in front of you is walking slower than your stride. So immediately I recognized that this was a little bit, gonna be a little bit more taxing on my legs, at least for this one, than I realized or expected because I'm taking shorter steps. Secondly, I don't know where to step because it's also dark and it's now becoming muddy from the folks that are in front of me. So that was interesting to realize how to navigate through. The other piece that I realized was like within the first seven minutes, I was soaking wet, like drenched with sweat, which would really surprise me because at the base camp, I was freezing. Now, it shouldn't have surprised me because I had all the information and anyone that knows anything that's listening to this will say, yeah, you got to layer up guy and then figure out how to do that. All right. Well, clearly I didn't know or understand the value associated with that. Again, at every opportunity to to be able to understand where we were at, and I just, I didn't. So the other piece is, again, the cadence with my breathing, with my walking and with the walking sticks, I had trouble getting into my rhythm, which frustrated me a little bit more. So the anxiety that I had initially kind of, if I'm just going to be completely vulnerable here, manifested into a little bit of frustration to where I wanted to go faster than I was. We get to the top. One was done. By this time, the sun's up. We got to see the sun coming up, which was a fantastic experience because I can tell you part of the struggle with one and part of the challenge in hindsight when I look back on it was very easily relatable to life. Now, not to be cliche and and all that, but I say that to say there are some times in life when you're going through a season where you really can't see past six feet in front of you. You think and you hope and you pray and you believe based on goals, assessments, conditioning, whatever the case may be, this is where we're going to go. But the reality of the situation is, is no one's going to be able to predict the future. And whether when that's going well for you and you're in that flow state and it's easy, uh, it's easier to let go of that 
quote unquote control. Like, I don't really care where we're going because this is easy. I'm, I'm getting it done and I'm heading towards my goal. But when you don't know how many more steps you have to have towards your goal and every step is starting to become taxing in your head, that little eight foot headlight of life becomes almost like a jail cell because you're never going to outstep it. So that was something that I recognized very early on in terms of the mental state during the dark. Keep in mind, the first lap, we only had one lap up. So I was in my mind preparing how that was going to happen because I knew we had to walk through the night. This isn't a deal where at least our tribe, I mean, we're 230, 240-pound dudes, gorillas that come from the bodybuilding world, not necessarily the the hiking cardio world. So, so and we know that where our expectation wasn't to go in and set world records. It's just to get to Roger that and get it done. So we knew that the pace that we were going with was going to require us no sleep and we we're going to have to go through the night. So in my mind, I was prepping for that. We get through one. Everybody's feeling good. Everybody's great. The sun's up. We all head back up the hill. Man, I'm probably oh, 50 yards up the hill. I can turn around and probably spit at base camp. I mean, not realistically speaking, but I, it would take me, I don't know, five minutes to get back down to base camp. Out of nowhere, my legs, my right quad started to feel like, oh, that's a little tight, almost like Charlie horse tight. And I was like, okay, that's uncomfortable. I can stretch through that. I can push through that. That's not that big of a deal. And I had attributed to two things. One, my legs were a little bit taxed from going slower in my stride up the hill. And secondly, I know that I was dehydrated at this point in time and chasing dehydration because my whoop band had told me that I'd spent, I think, 2,300 or 2,200 calories on the way up. I didn't know how accurate that was, but I also know that I didn't eat or drink anything at the aid stations on the way up. So I was too amped up in my, I don't want to say adrenaline, but but my stomach wasn't ready to do that. That coupled with the fact that I had way too much gear on and was sweating out whatever precipitation or whatever hydration that I had, I didn't know was going to become an issue. So I walked probably another 20 to 30 yards and then boom, my legs like straight locked. Like, like I panicked locked. Like as in, I, I didn't know what to do. I'd never had that happen before. So imagine like you are, and the way I equated it to was like on stage in a bodybuilding contest where you flex every single muscle all the time. So imagine like every single muscle in your leg is flexed, legs are flexed, and you're trying to walk up a hill. Like you're trying to walk, period. So for me, I, at first I was like initial panic. I was like, okay, here comes adversity. All right, dude, it's not that big of a deal. You can work through this, step to the side and stretch it out. And when I tried to like sidestep, I could not move. That's when everything kind of came at me. And I was like, dude, what is going on here? Because keep in mind, I'm not going to yell to my boys. Yo, wait for me. Turn around. Come back. I want them to continue to go. Now I know that they're in their rhythm. They're in their cadence because the group that was basically the rabbits or the gazelles had already gone past us Clydesdales. They were probably well into lap two. So we were taking our own time and our own pace, and I see them getting a little bit farther than me, and now I get a little bit more panicky. This is when the anxiety sets in a little bit more because, yo, if I get separated from this group, I'm going to hit this for 36 hours solo. This is going to be a long ride. I mean, it was going to be long earlier, but I had no intention of doing this solo. So I am like panicky, frantically, like trying to figure out, like, what is it that I'm going to do? My, I, like, I've never been in a situation where I couldn't like 
will myself, like mind over matter. And candidly, like back in the day, you know, that mindset was very much mother F myself. Like, come on, sissy, come on, bitch, you can do this. You're gonna let somebody else do that. I wasn't even remotely there. For me, like I expected, all right, this is gonna be hard. It's not gonna be a cakewalk, but I, I will overcome the hard mentally in my head. And I expected to have some heart to heart conversations with God at around nine or 10, 11, not lap two of 13. And on top of that, if I'm going to be really real, dude, how embarrassing is this? This is lap two of 13. I, I put myself in a position by not training cardio, by not making sure that my body was in a position of, of hydration by understanding what my gear was. Little did I know that I, I was in for it. So like, dude, everything started coming to the top of my mind, all of the self-limiting beliefs, the self-doubt, embarrassment. And quite candidly, what kept coming to the top of my mind was like, I know the pain of regret and not being able to complete this is going to far supersede the pain that is in my quads right now. And I couldn't do anything about it. But it, it wasn't like I could... Like, dude, it sucks. You just got to continue to do it. So at this time, like, my mindset was was defeated, like almost defeated. I was like, what am I going to do? Like at this point in time, like, I, I, I don't know how I'm going to get down. I don't know how I'm going to get up. Like, what is it that I'm going to do? Q, Brent, and Dawn. So Brent is the gentleman I referenced earlier. Dawn is also a coach on the mountain. Now, I don't know them never met them. I met them as they walked up behind me on the mountain and they didn't know me. And they knew immediately that I was struggling. And man, I referenced that God conversation where I expected to be able to be in a dark place, place where I was starting to negotiate my whys and my goals. And I assumed that that would be in the middle of the night to where I could really lean on God and really get really real, you know, and you're beat and you're just like, man, I'm, I'm not holding anything back. I expected those conversations. I was frustrated that I was realizing that I wasn't going to be able to have that. And it wasn't until I reflected on the ride home that I actually did have that, but it showed up in a much different way. I say that to say I've learned over the past year and a half to two that God speaks to me through relationships. And while my expectation was to be able to have a conversation heart to heart to God when I was down, when I was out, when I was really struggling, looking for some motivation and inspiration from God. What God gave me is exactly what I needed. And two people that came up behind me and started organically and real authentically speaking championship language into me. Neither one of them knew me. They don't know me. They don't know my mindset. They don't know my characteristics. They don't know that championship language is like one of my things. It's just a deal. So I immediately started recognizing their tonality, their rhetoric. Brent was, I mean, the dude basically babysat. But when I say babysat, he absolutely unequivocally did. And I remember Dawn kept telling me 10 step that shit, 10 step that shit. And I, every time I look up, this is what she would do. She would take 10 steps at her own pace, her own stride, two to three deep breaths and keep going. 
And a lot of times she would take 10 and then turn around and look back down the mountain as if to see how far she came or as if to look at the scenery. And here my mind was like, yo, you're really appreciating the scenery and I'm just trying to live. Like I couldn't even appreciate the appreciation and I was pissed off that I couldn't do that. Not a good state to be in. Brent had informed me based on... (laughs) The tights that I had, the shorts that I had over the tights, the knee braces, the ankle braces, the 18 pairs of socks, the gloves, the hat, the four layers that I had on top of that. He was like, dude, it is no wonder why you're dehydrated. You're going to be chasing this all the time because you're just sweating out all your hydration. And in my mind, I was like, yeah, man, I'm freezing, though. And he he shared with me the reason why you're freezing, brother, is because your gear is soaking wet. So every time the wind penetrates your outer layer, it's getting to your inner layer, which is making it look like you got a wet towel wrapped around you. He didn't say that, but that's how I paraphrased it in my head, which made a lot of sense. So for the next two, two and a half hours, we 10-stepped it. Don, Brent, and myself all the way to aid station one, aid station two, where they both basically babysat me and hand-fed me calories, explained to me the importance of calories in as compared to calories out, especially when you're scaling a mountain at 230, and then gave me everything they could, like hoist 1,500 electrolytes, which I really knew nothing about, and worked to the extent of they helped with hydration, but also you know started knocking around on my gut. So those were some things that I had to work through and get through, man, but by the grace of God, we summited too. And I attribute that both to Don and Brent. And this is no disrespect to you, Don, if you're listening. But Brent, man, you made a comment and you don't, if you're listening, I don't know that uh, you knew the value add behind it as well. Because we could easily see the base camp from where we're at. And you were genuinely looking at me out of concern. But I think also based on your tonality, or at least this is the meaning I attach to it, Almost as if to see like how bad I wanted it or where I want to go. And when I say that was you told me a couple of times and then the third time was the tonality was very firm. We got about another 20, 25 steps. Once we get that, we're past the point of no return. We're not going back down. As if to say we're not going back down, dot, dot, dot. To like give me an option or an out. Now, In my mind, I couldn't move my legs. Before Brent and Dawn got there, I could have easily just tucked and rolled, been down the mountain in probably 30 to 40 seconds, and it would have been, it is what it is. But I had no desire to turn around and take my ass back down a mountain. I understood I wasn't going to get to 13 at that point in time. But amongst the victories and the expectation I have were to be able to give myself a victory. That to me would be quitting. I can't have that. So I attribute to, to both Brent and Dawn, very much so. I had a decision to make because at this point in time, you know, we're into this, I don't know, I was probably four and a half, maybe five hours. So at this point in time, it's probably 10, 11 o'clock, maybe somewhere around there of a 36 hour event. So, <laughs> What am I going to do? I could go back into the lodge, hit some boots, recovery room, refuel, wait for my guys, take a nap. It is what it is. Or I can turn right and go right back up the mountain. 
I knew that my gear was soaking wet, and I knew that going back up the mountain right then and there was probably not a realistic expectation for me. So I hobbled my butt into the recovery room, changed my gear out of my soaking wet gear, and then figured out how to put on a base layer, and then had worked with Brent on lap two to be able to strategize as to what I need specific to my body, meaning from one to two, I'm gonna base layer, from two to three, I'm gonna remove the base and add gloves. So just strategic things that really I never would have thought of through trial and error that he helped me time collapse and bring to fruition. I went in, put on the Normatec boots, got the blood flowing in my, my legs, still couldn't really feel much. But again, I had a decision to make and I felt like I still had something within me. So I couldn't necessarily go home to my wife and kids and said, hey, I didn't make it, but I left every ounce of everything I had on that mount. It's a false statement and I knew that. So I put my gear back on and Roger that, took myself right back up to the mountain. Three and a half hours of 10 stepping later, I literally got passed <laughs> by ladies and gentlemen that were easily twice my age, some of which that easily had 50 to 60 pounds on me. And this is no disrespect to them. This is actually more honor and respect to them for that, to be able to have the will and the wherewithal and the gumption to do that. One of the individuals that I met on the mountain at that point in time, I was by myself, my crew was doing their deal, just totally fine, was this sweetest lady that we had befriended later that night and, and kind of stayed up through the night with, was sweet Paula Maxwell. And she goes by PMAX Runner. And she kind of became my mom on the mountain because she could quickly deduce that I had absolutely unequivocally no idea what I was doing. And she gave me pointers in terms of, I mean, she told me about salt pills. I mean, how the hell do you climb a mountain, dude, and not know anything about salt pills? I mean, come on, Rook. Everything from that to my socks to hydration, just tips and tips that really helped get my mind off of that climb and really served me. So if you're listening to this, Paul, I love and respect to you. I appreciate you, my friend. I got to the top of that mountain after three and a half hours and I felt like that was my victory. I was depleted physically. My legs were, at this point in time, it's not that I couldn't keep going. I could have kept going easily, but I knew that that was gonna be uh, six, seven hours of going back up. And I wanted to be able to have, part of the experience was to be able to have tribe, to be able to have the ability to see where everyone else was and what they were doing. So when I got down from that, I was done. I genuinely believed in my head I was done and this wasn't something that I was just going to be able to physically make. For me, it was a little bit of victory in the ability to have one more after I thought I was done, especially when it took me twice as long as it took me to do the first two. But it's something that I did to myself. You see, the belief system or the storyline that I created in my mind was, and I say this in context, not to be braggadocious, was I don't want to train because and again, I get this is arrogant. In my mind, if I train to the T for five months, it will be when, not if. I will conquer that and get my red hat. And not that there won't be struggles in that, but it'll be when, not if. So I created this fictitious belief system that what if, God forbid, we we're in like a walking dead situation and you got to climb this mountain to be able to go get water or something and you haven't trained for five months could you would you should you how would you be able to do it so i dismissed any and all training like a genius rookie neophyte and put myself in a position where i thought at the age of 38 i still had as much of a command over my body as i once did 
what I realized was my willpower, my gumption, my mental prowess to go is no longer congruent or aligned with my physical stature, which is fine because that's a vital assessment for me based on my needs and wants. Now it is that I know what I need to do and want to do to put myself in a position. And those are things that when, not if, when I attack this again, I will know what to do strategically. My body, unfortunately, just wasn't in a position where I could will myself through at this point in time. Another gentleman in our tribe, Scott Thomas, was experiencing some similar issues with his legs, and I think he also had some breathing stuff going on as well. So we made a commitment to kind of switch our expectations, and really, it served me to get outside of myself and my head. So once I realized that this isn't something that I'm going to be able to accomplish, yeah, the disappointment, the frustration, the embarrassment, the insert feeling here comes to you. But when you take yourself outside of yourself and you realize there's still an opportunity to be able to serve and support your brothers that are in this, man, and it's still going to be a good time for you to be able to see at least one of them get a red hat. I mean, so we all dove in. And those of us that were in it, we're in it. And those of us that weren't, we made sure that our other brothers had food, had water. And the biggest thing that we did was we could take the gondola ride to the top. So every single time, not some, not most, every single time Scott was diligent about understanding the timeline and the pacing of each respective guys that were still in it. So as they would go up throughout the night, we'd make sure that we stayed up throughout the night with them as well, got our happy butts on the gondola so they could just see us for the five seconds that they were at the summit and the 13-minute ride down. They'd have somebody to come talk to, and a lot of times nobody talked. They just knew that we were there, that was silent between them, it was silent between us, but you knew, dude, I'm not letting you get off this hill without that red hat. I'll give you any ounce, any iota of my energy, my gumption, my food, my water, whatever it is you need, you're in it. I would have wanted that if I was in that position. So when I took myself out of the Eeyore woe is me and I put myself in a position of serving others, this is when another change for me happened, a paradigm shift. We were at the summit. There's a lodge atop the summit and it's about, I don't know, 3.30, 3.45 in the morning and we were waiting for Stephen Riley to summit and I remember going down the stairs or up the stairs to the men's bathroom and out of nowhere like it hit me I recognized I'm not one stepping it like step 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 flat step all the way up and hanging on to the railing this is I mean I'm not running up the steps but this is something I can actually move my legs and they're not cramping so I was like yo wait a minute Daniel LaRusso's gonna fight and if you don't know that reference, I mean, I don't, I don't know how to help you. But I say that to say that's literally went through my head. I actually texted Christian Edwards, one of my best good buds, Daniel LaRusso's going to fight. Because I knew that, yo, if I have energy, which I had energy. I mean, I was tired. We'd been up the whole night, calorie deficient and dehydrated. But I still got something left. I'm not going to go home and not have something in the tank. I just need my legs to cooperate and work with me. So I like test ran my legs, like gave them some tests. So I say is I went up and down that staircase probably two or three more times, like trying to instigate or trigger my legs into cramping up because the last thing I want to do is get my butt on the mountain and have that thing happen. And man, they didn't. So that's when I knew I was like, oh, you know, those conversations that you wanted to have that deep down, dirty grind combo that you wanted to have while you were in it with God, like you still got another shot, dude. You're not going to be able to necessarily finish 13. But what all came to me was I already done three. 
And again, if you go back to the beginning of this podcast, what I shared was they have the seven tallest peaks. The first of those is Mount Kosciuszko, which starts at four. So on the back of your bib, every racer gets a bib, every participant gets a bib. On the back of the bib, it gives you one through, I think it's seven peaks with one being Kosciuszko, seven being Everest. First one getting marked off at four and the 13th getting marked off at Everest. I didn't have any marked on my bib. So for me, that became my entire accomplishment is getting that one marked off. So I honored my commitment to Scott, to my boys, stayed up with them through the night, make sure everybody was copacetic, got through breakfast, made sure it got a little bit warmer, went back to the tent quietly by myself, changed my clothes, got myself in a mindset, and my mindset changed. I went from, man, I'm going to do this to the best that I can, rah, 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 this is awesome, rah, rah, whatever, almost adrenaline pumping, rah, to very matter of fact, very Roger that, very I have no expectations. This is going to suck. It's not going to tickle. It's going to probably take me six to seven hours. But at this point in time I had every bit of like eight hours before they stopped the starting line or to get to the summit. So all I needed to do was get one. One more done. And do it in the time to where I can see Steve and Riley, who are the only two left in our tribe yet, cross that line or walk the very last one with them. I don't care if I have to take the gondola up and down 50 times and you get to see my face or I get to yell at you, whatever I got to do to give you guys energy so you can get that hat. So I was like, okay, I got to book it. I like, I got to go as fast as I can, but I don't really have an expectation. I mean, fast as I can within eight hours, bro, you're good. I also understood that at the top mountain aid, one of the advantages that they had in terms of calorie replenishment were Uncrustables. And man, I haven't had an Uncrustable since I can't even remember. So I tried to eat my body weight in Uncrustables throughout that weekend, understanding that I only got to the top three times. So that tells you how many Uncrustables I ate on the gondola down. Your boy also had his pockets full of Uncrustables. So in my mind, I was like, look, I got seven, eight hours to get my happy ass up this mountain. This is going to be a picnic. I may even pull over and take a nap. I'm going to shoot some pictures. I got time. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. I'm going to listen to some music. Hand to God, that was my mindset. I legit put music in, and that was something that changed for me. So what I was looking for in my head was somebody to help speak positivity, championship rhetoric, championship language. And I had received that from Don and Brent. And I had received that from my tribe. But keep in mind, I was basically by myself now at this point in time, certainly by myself up the last deal on the mountain. So while you're working to be positive and you're working to do the best that you can do, you still have the expectations of I came here to power out 13. I'm powering out three. My boys are way in front of me. I haven't even gotten an opportunity to tell them what the hell happened let alone my wife and kids, let alone my own brain and digest what it is that I've got going on. So you still have that leaking in your head. But to be able to bring in someone, and that someone for me is a gentleman by the name of Dr. Billy Alls Brooks. I have Billy Alls Brooks, a certain track in my ear every Monday through Friday at 5 a.m. when I walk in the gym. And I put that back in just having a good time. What I didn't realize is that brought me to a sense and a mindset of comfortability. So when I started walking, I immediately hit a cadence and a stride that was aligned and rhythmic with my breathing. 
which is what Dawn had been trying to teach me the entire time. But I was so focused on trying to live and get my legs from like not locking out from underneath me. I couldn't grasp the concept. So I was comfortable now. And now once I was comfortable, I was hitting stride. And by hitting stride, I made it to that first aid station in 29 minutes, which should put me on an hour and a half trajectory, which means I want to be a half hour on this lap faster than my first lap and three hours faster than the last lap I just did. So at this point in time, I'm staying positive because I'm floating. I'm genuinely having a good time. Like I'm like not feeling any pain, but in the back of my head, I'm like, yo, my legs could just lock up and I'm just going to have to barrel roll down this hill because I'm already up. Once I start, you're not taking me down and I believe you're not evacuating me off this hill. I'll stay on this hill before I get evac'd. I got Uncrustables. Anyhow, I digress. I keep going, man. My music is going. I'm seeing people. And now, keep in mind, I got fresh legs and I got a fresh mindset. These people that I'm passing were the folks that had passed me before. The folks that had spoke championship language and rhetoric into me before. And they had gone through the night. Their legs were shot. Their minds were already tweaking on, on working on each other. So I realized that this was an opportunity that God was giving me to be able to sow and speak that championship language that those very same people had given me. And man, did I. And did I explode with energy to the point where I saw someone I hung around at the next station for a little bit, the aid station, which I got the second one again in 27 minutes. Hung around a little bit because I wasn't in a race and I was floating. And I had people come up and share and, and say, hey, man, thanks. I appreciate that or whatever. The third hike was from the third aid station all the way up to the top. It was the nemesis. I mean, that is the last, I say, 1,000, 1,500 yards is probably a strong uphill walk. But there's a point where you come out of the aid station and anyone that knows its course, it is very much a climb with poles on top of it. So I got past that part and I recognized, man, I still feel very good. And I still have something left in my tank. And I did not want to have that. I also knew that I wasn't going to be able, in terms of time, to walk another one. I could have pushed myself through in terms of my legs, but it was important to me to be at the summit, the finish line for Steve and Riley, to be able to finish and be that. So I wasn't going to try to push it to five for my own glory, so to speak, where I wanted to be there for my brothers. But I also didn't want to go home and tell my wife and kids, yo, I got a little bit left in the tank. So I did everything I could, and I ran that last thousand yards. Couldn't feel my legs. Dumbest thing looking like, who's this idiot in a white bib just running up the hill when everyone else is strategically walking? But again, man, I, I didn't care. The race wasn't about anybody else at that time. It was about me putting myself in a position to show up as best as I can and flat out leave every single thing that I have. So I left some stuff, some self-limiting beliefs, some conversations that happened when I got triggered and I was out of my expectations on that mountain. And I also found some stuff on that mountain in terms of areas of opportunity to growth for me physically, areas of opportunity for me of growth mentally when I'm in a position where I'm physically or mentally taxed and I don't like it and I want to get out of it and find a solution. Essentially, you know, what we have in life is when life flexes or shows up on us, how are we going to fight back? How are we going to show back up? So a little bit about my experience. My main takeaway is, again, self-leadership and self-talk. What's your rhetoric when you're going through it? I don't mean like, man, hey, man, this sucks a little bit. This is a challenge. This is a whatever. I mean, like when you're going through it, like when your legs are frozen in life, what is it you're going to do? 
you when you're trying so hard and you feel like dude i'm really grinding and the best that i can but i'm just going through this sludge and it's just not moving like how are you going to show up for yourself and then what position have you put yourself in in terms of your ability to have a support system if you can't muster the strength to and i get it sometimes when we go through these daily doses of discipline discomfort push ourselves maybe i don't want to say too far but over the limit which is great to be able to stretch our boundaries but then how do we be able to build ourselves back up when we're depleted that's the value of tribe that's the value of understanding who it is that you become or the product of the environment that we become when you have, you know, we're told not to become a product or we're conditioned as kids not to become a product of our environment as if that's a negative connotation. And it certainly can be depending on who you hang out with. But when you selectively choose the lions and the people that you align with because they're like mindsetted, you can put yourself in a position to lean on and fall back on those people in the times that you're triggered or you're the times of need. And I'll land this plane with this. Man, expectations. And that's something that I went into it with totally different expectations. And it was very much brought to my attention very quickly, very matter-of-factly, and very much without uh, whether you like it or not. This is your expectations. So you either alter those expectations, make the adjustments, or you don't. And I say that to say champions make adjustments, not excuses. This is something that I preach about and, and quite candidly, was forced to walk out whether I wanted to or not in the middle of a mountain in, in Salt Lake City, Utah. So I believe that if I can do that there, I can take that value out and apply that to any and all areas of my life. And I believe the same for anyone listening as well. So I appreciate you guys. I very much am interested in learning some feedback on this. So as always, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a 10 star review. If you can't find 10, we'll go ahead and take five as per usual. But I very much appreciate you guys. We shall see you on the flip side, fam. Thank you for tuning into this episode of The Driven View with Al Hamid. If you love what you heard, and I know that you did, please follow us on Apple and Spotify and leave us that 10-star review. All right, if you can't find 10, we will gladly accept that five-star review. You can also connect with me, Al Hamid, on both Instagram and Facebook. Al Hamid, H-A, M is in Mary, E is in Edward, D is in Diesel, and as always, don't forget to subscribe and like.